Oh boys, let's just uh let's take our hair down. Let's take let's take our hair out. Let's uh fuck you. Let's relax. Well, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, let's uh untie these babies. Oh yeah. Jeff, I don't know if you're wearing your hair down for me lately or not, but I like it. Thank you. I'm not. Um of a week edition welcome to a perfectly acceptable <laughs> podcast episode 149 where we are quickly quick, quickly uh, approaching the edge of a sort of social expectation cliff <laughs> and uh in seven days whether we like it or not we're going to be sitting up there and roman uh despite what Django says i don't think that we have to be naked there's something about you picture other people i'm gonna make it so you guys can't stop thinking about me naked Django, you started that years ago. I, I just, know. I, I just, I thought we went by the rule of pretend the audience is naked. Oh, God, not them. <laughs> Where every Tuesday we get a whole bunch of books we're really excited about because we all sort of work at and own a comic shop here in Bellingham, Washington. We get all those books that we are excited about up into our tiny little pap cave office. It's the, it's the pre-pap room. It's the room where the books are sorted. Uh, we sort them, we count them, we love them, we roll around in them. Then we take all those books that we're excited about home, sit into our little disgusting filth buckets and read them. Sometimes we read more than other weeks. Sometimes we read uh, fewer than other weeks. Then we take all of those books that we uh, read, bring them back to the shop, and we engage in a wonderful, uh, whimsy-filled Wednesday. And then we come upstairs to the old pap cave in the sky, um, higher than Batman, higher than Superman. There is no high that could be rivaled with the pap high. And we uh, engage in a variety of tangents, either related to or unrelated to the books that we read, the shop that we work at, or the comings and goings of our lives. I'm Jeff, and I've really grown accustomed to the safety and security of doing this in this room. I'm Django, and I'll have to fix that. Oh. <laughs> I'm Roman, and I think we should do it on the roof. No ceiling, no walls. But you're the kind of guy that pronounces it crick, aren't you? We can get a crick and run it. Damn it! We'll do it live up there, like like the Beatles' the final concert. And uh, listen, Jeff, this week I think we should spoil some comics, and I think I, those comics. I think we should just get the fuck in them, tear them apart, talk about the endings yep. and the comings and goings of them. Yep, yep. And uh, let's start with the plot number one, and let's move on to safe sex one. New Mutants, War Children, number one. Action Comics, number 1015. That's so many comics. Yeah. White Trees, number two. White Trees, number two. Harleen, number one. And Powers of X, number five. Plus, probably some voicemails or emails oh, yeah. or yeah. Uh, something. And I'm going to see how long I can get Jeff to talk about. Um, things before he realizes he's two hours late to go home to his wonderful <laughs> girlfriend. Which is what happened last week when I had to run out of here. And then when I had to edit the podcast and realized that I had talked for 45 minutes about House of X. You could just put that blurb that you just said on every episode yeah. for the last House and Powers Yeah. Well, we spent like seven minutes talking about 
the sort of arc, the visual architecture of the U.S. map and the number of dots in them. Like, yeah. we talked about that yeah. for a while. So that's, yeah, that's, yeah, sorry to anybody. Oh, wait, no, I'm the only one who had to listen to that again. This week, <laughs> uh, spoiler for the podcast, I can't wait to talk about how the X-Men are hard drives. I can't wait to process that. I can't wait to hear about that Did later on. Did you read uh, the plot? Number one? Yes. That, so I'm going to have to, we're going to have to sort of work towards that oh, Powers yeah. of X conversation. Let's get through the plot. So it's uh, the plot, 1974 of The Past We Grieve. I didn't know that that was part of the part of the tagline, but that's what it says on the, the inside cover. It's written by Tim Daniel and Michael Morrissey. Morikai Morrissey? Yeah. Uh, drawn by Josh Hickston, with colors by Jordan Boyd, lettered by Jim Campbell from Vault. Vault Nightfall. Vault Nightfall Vault. Is that Vault's new uh, horror imprint? Oh, wow. That would be interesting. Nightfall Vault. Interesting. Um, so this was a <clears throat> Comics Omnivore title that came out this week. Django, do you want to give us a rundown of Comics Omnivore real quick for anybody listening? Yeah, it's a, it's a program that we are part of where uh, a group of people pick out comics that are good regardless of genre or publishers or creators and they incentivize us to carry a whole bunch of them and then uh, we are able to offer a discount on them for people who buy them in the first week that they're out and uh, so far I think I've read them all and I've really enjoyed the the first and second issues of each of them hmm. um, I think I think these guys have pretty good taste these these haven't blown my socks off ever but they're just like real solid Stories. Yeah, I don't think a single one of them has been a bad book. No, no. Uh, this one follows uh, this, oh, like middle-aged dude who looks a lot, like disturbingly like Jim Gordon on a, on a bad day. <laughs> You're totally right. Um, turning, I think he's turning 40, and uh, he's he gets kind of distracted talking about how fucked up his dad was, even though his dad was kind of a big wig in some way. And uh, we're also seeing his brother who's broken into a house and is doing sketchy things and getting drunk. And after the guy gets home, this monster shows up. And I don't remember if even at that point we, we knew that it was his dad. I assumed it was his dad reincarnated somehow. I don't know oh, if that's ever made super it's, clear. It's never made clear. And I didn't that didn't occur to me. But uh, this this monster that looks like Swamp Thing. even more like Swamp Thing than the dude looks like Jim Gordon. Um <laughs> <clears throat> throws him and his wife out of their beach windows and kills them both. And then the their kids get adopted or, or taken by the by the brother who's kind of a, a fuck up. And they go the kids are taken to their grandfather's old house, the old family home. And uh man, the end of it has pretty much it's got the kids and yeah, I guess it's just the two kids are being kind of consumed by these vines and swampy, swamp thing things. Um, yeah, I didn't really know much about it going in, nor did I even really think about the title. And I guess I assumed that it was talking about, like, plot devices or plot elements, but it's it's got to be a reference to, like, the plot of land that they're from. So. Because they are the kids are taken by the uncle to um, the house... That I believe the uncle and the dad would have been raised in yeah. with the grandparents. Yeah, I particularly liked the art in it. It reminded me of just a level below Jorge Fornes. Jorge Fornes and Darwin Cook and that school. Mm -hmm. His his character work isn't quite as good as those other ones, but his atmosphere 
Yeah. Not just creating a spooky atmosphere, but like these, there's a really gorgeous scene of um, when the the two characters were introduced to at the, at the beginning, the dad and the mom are, are murdered. So it's like this gorgeous shot of the beach. Mm-hmm. And the way that he uses <clears throat> shading and lightings, like uh, sh- you know, shadow and light in this to cast a, a really beautiful atmosphere. Like the, you can just see the vanishing points. There's a lot of, it made me think of like, I wonder where this artist cut his teeth. Like, is it, yeah. it almost seems like his atmospheres and his environments are better than his character work, which made me sort of wonder, like, who practices that more than character work? Yeah, like, when I when I read it, I was like, I, I had a real good handle on everything that was happening in there and, and what the people were doing and thinking. But looking at it and kind of dissecting the characters, he's not very, he's not super refined. No. At a lot of them. But this, but it's like, great. overhead shot of some, you know, cars driving on this road that Mm -hmm. actually clearly the road width doesn't really quite fit with the scale that they're talking about but even still the lighting and the perspective uh, the environments are really pretty to look in and the final page where spoilers the kid gets you know sucked under the water by some vines or that monster that shot of him immediately submerged in the the vines is really cool and it looks like there's this whole sort of subterranean area that had me Really interested. It's like Bernie Wrightson almost. It in totally has some rights and stuff. Roman, what did you think? Did you feel like it was too swamp thingy? No, not at all. Because um, other other than the, the homage cover to the swamp thing, I, I actually didn't think of swamp thing that much once you saw the creature. Mm-hmm. Though it does kind of look like one of our, our his a foe, Arcane's, one of his unmen. Yeah, like, unmen. I want to know what this what this things are sticking out of its back. And I like how it kissed it kissed the the brother. It when did? He, yeah, he thought it was his dad, and then it kisses him, like, full on the lips. Yeah, this scene here. Are we sure it wasn't his dad? We don't know. Oh, sorry, the brother. I thought you were talking about the younger brother kid, but... No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I don't know. I don't know if he... Why he thought it was... Or if, if this is his dad, or why he thought... Think it's his dad? It's got a noose around his neck. We don't know how his dad died. He also quotes his dad. Yeah. The the monster oh, yeah, says, that, first that you that must model. give. Yeah, um, yeah I, I thought it was really good, kind of... A good setup and and the mist that that rolls around in in the throughout the story. It's very Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The brothers, you know, his speech at the funeral was really good and felt real and mm-hmm. and thoughtful and said a lot about that character. I was kind of surprised at the depth of it. Depth of it. Yeah. It also. Yeah, I'd be interested to see where it goes because it also felt like a kind of sort of surface level deconstruction of this idea of inherited mental illness, but not even necessarily mental illness, but like inherited compulsions. Like I could really identify with this sort of him talking about his father's compulsion to do things for others, but that sort of being largely regarded as a positive thing by the society at large, but him being like, no, it's actually was sort of like, he compulsively did, and it seemed to be the byproduct of this sort of mental illness, and, mm-hmm. and that's something that I think a lot about. So it didn't feel, it felt like a sort of like, okay, so then what if the idea of these inherited traits are whatever, and that wasn't super interesting to me, because it, it was, it's I don't know, but for me personally, just because I have already sort of spent a lot of time thinking about this type of thing, right. so it didn't super captivate me as like, here's some brand new ideas. It was sort of like, what if the compulsion to give is 
you know, actually a negative thing. And I'm like, well, fuck, I talk about that in therapy every time I go to therapy. Um, <laughs> so there were, there were aspects of it where I was like, I don't necessarily want to spend that much time with this story, but the art really was pretty and evocative. So what would you give it? Um, I would give it a six. I would give it a seven, maybe a seven and a half. I thought it was a, that was a real good comic. It's a good, it's a good mystery. I'm curious to find what out what's you, going what on. What would you score out on it? It'd be, you... be a seven. Yeah. Yeah. Guys, could I ask a favor? Mm-hmm. Could we hold as many goofs inside of us tonight as we can to save up for next week? That's not how it works. Is that not how goof works? <laughs> I think, like I'm constantly making my goofs. And you, you just for everyone listening, he did point to his bowels. I don't know if you've listened to this podcast. Are I you trying to it. fart? You no, look I'm like not. you're trying to fart. <laughs> <laughs> it did look like I was trying to fart, didn't I? Okay. All right. Cut all that out. Let's okay. start again. Okay. Sorry, oh, my Jesus Welcome Christ. to a perfectly acceptable podcast. <laughs> oh, man, the live show. We were going to be stunned at how many times we have to restart the entire thing. <laughs> 30 minutes of us just trying to get an intro out. Uh, I don't think I want to do that thing. The live show? Yeah. You I'll guys, go you guys can do alone. it, right? <laughs> oh, man. Can we all just sit and drink and watch you? <laughs> oh, God. Hey, Jeff. Yeah. It's a one-man show. Oh, God. Maybe Cobra will help. Sure don't want that. <laughs> safe sex number one. Now, let's be clear. It's pronounced safe sex, but it is titled SFSX. Yeah, I thought it was sure. San Francisco sex. San Francisco sex. Written and created by Tina Horn, drawn and covered by Michael Dowling, cover art by Tula Lote. This book starts with a bang. <laughs> <laughs> it made me giggle that the, the writer's name is Horn. Yeah. Yeah, do you think that's uh, on purpose? I think that she's a pretty well-known <laughs> I person. I can't. Like, that, that name is very familiar oh. to me. Uh, this book starts with... Uh, a dirty mind. A very <laughs> dirty... Well, basically just an orgy in a bar called The Dirty Mind in San Francisco. It's an underground bar. We have full frontal female nudity. We have uh, and some full frontal male nudity. Is there full frontal male? There's nudity? some definitely some ween, some weens in it for yeah, sure. There's some wang. Not in the first two pages though. You're right. Um, and and there's uh, a raid on this den of sin, if you will. Oh, I will. And uh, we find out that we're in a world where that is that is super uh, controlled by some pretty puritanical, maybe not even puritanical. Like we don't even know if they're. If they're if they have a double standard, right? They they definitely right. are sort of adhering to God's law and sort of justifying everything by you know having a better relationship or more involved relationship with God. Yeah, and it's a little bit Big Brother. Like there's signs around that say purity will set you free. And when uh, when the main character and her husband have sex, they talk immediately afterwards about how they have to file their paperwork about it. Um, and he's got a better record than she does, so he can like do it online or something. And she's got a, she's got to go stand in line to file her stuff. Um, they they uh, like she's out looking for a job. She runs into some old friends from the from the nightclub that got raided. And meanwhile, at work, he gets he gets busted being in a place he shouldn't be, and uh, and their house gets raided. And then she beats the shit out of some people, and the game is on. I have mixed feelings about this and not I think I think it's a pretty quality comic book I think it's mm-hmm. well written I think the world is well alluded to yep. um, there's a fair amount of telling not showing and a fair amount of showing not telling like there's it's it's well balanced the art is really is good uh, it, it made me like this character a lot yep um, 
I think it's really good satire, not in a comical way, but as like a, a critique of society. I'm torn because there are some aspects of this sort of authoritarian evil government that I do agree with in some regards. Like, and I, I guess there's an interesting... Tell us more, Jeffrey. Well, it's just that, gosh, I am obviously so pro chase your bliss sexuality. Like, I do, you know, orgies, all of this. Like, I, it, I'm so pro that. I would never... The idea of a government uh, wanting to stop anyone from doing that is is the evil. Um, however, I do think our society is incredibly sex-focused. Uh-huh. To a detriment. Sure. And I don't know. This one sort of seems to support that sort of like total sex obsession that I think ultimately holds a lot of people back from a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And the way at one point in here when there's like a church broadcast or TV broadcast talking about um, sex was always an empty promise, a carrot on a stick that kept men striving towards the unachievable. Their frustration left them angry, which led to toxic masculinity, domestic violence, and assault weapon massacres, all because the old media promised them some extreme form of pleasure that no experience could really satisfy. I think that's true. Sure. I think we've created an idea for what sex is, and people strive towards it all the time. But do you think that anything even approaching this sort of uh, control is... uh a rational answer to that? No, obviously not. I think yeah. controlling people is diabolical. But it has this sort of like, I don't know, like, if you're not doing this, you're not cool vibe. And I'm like, on the one hand, I'm like, man, this book kind of made me want to break up with my girlfriend and go join a sex cult and bail <laughs> and just bone for the rest of my life. And that's not good either. I think that this is a really positive book to exist in that middle ground and, and start these conversations. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't feel like it's too much on one side or the other. So here's here's the thing, though. Uh, it opens a decade into the ongoing takeover of American civil life by the ultra-conservative religious organization. So right? it's a response. So that, yeah, I mean, I don't think that they're, I don't think they're saying that this is what it's like now. And, like, the, the orgy is what it's like now. And, like, I, I think this is, this the, the way I read it is in the future when the prude party gets in control mm -hmm. people rebel in a similar way to you know any any time there's a real harsh control uh you have people doing the thing that they're not supposed to do to a more more of an extreme right. than you would have before and i totally agree and i don't think that this is yes yeah, saying how, this is how it is now I, I totally agree with what you're saying and i, I think this book is really good it, it just it you know it made me sort of think about a lot of things it, it, it makes sense uh, I don't know how you're going to edit it to sound like uh, <laughs> the the sensitive guy that uh, we all know you are. <laughs> yeah, I mean, does it sound really bad? I don't know. Like, no, I don't think it it's just bad. like I think our society is super in your face with sex. You can't go through a cashier line at a grocery store without almost seeing someone's nipples. Yeah, and I think that that's teaching little kids to be really focused on that, and adults to be really focused on that. And I think that that is causing a lot of problems in our society. Well, listen, if my mom's listening, I give this a, just like a five. But well, uh, I loved mute it, mom. I give this nine inches of score. Oh God! I mean, it definitely it was super hot. Like I, I really liked it. Was super a hot thing, and mm -hmm. I was aroused the whole time. But again, that's sort of my. What I always come back to is like, I sure wish that I wasn't aroused all the time. <laughs> um, 
And I think it's a societal systemic problem. Also, everyone uses the same vibrator in this. Is that just the nicest type of vibrator? You know, the you Hitachi the wand? Yeah, it's the wand. 100%. It's 100% the nicest vibrator? Yeah. Okay, so I invested my money well. This sort of oh, made zing. me feel like I bought the right one. <laughs> New Mutants, War Children, number one by Chris Claremont and Bill Sienkiewicz. Roman, did you read this original run? I did. They made a book by the exact same creative team and put it out. They did, and, and as if we were still back in 1984 or whatever, and these characters are all that same age. Whoa, can everything. we say 1985? Because 1984 means something on this podcast. <laughs> 1985. Is it because that was what year you were born, Roman? Oh, yeah. it's what that last book was about. Oh, right, 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 right. Right, 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 right. What? <laughs> um, Roman? Jeff? <laughs> was this... I flipped through this. I've never read New Mutants before. Love Bill Sienkiewicz's art. Have a hard time vibing with Claremont. Never read the original X-Men stuff. He's very... Um, uh, purple prose, is that what it's called? Mm -hmm. Like very verbose. Very verbose, very lots of exposition in the writing and kind of the old fashion style. That... Blast, if only I could trust my artist to cover some exactly. of these eloquent word balloons. <laughs> and so, yeah. So I flipped through it and I was like, ooh, the art's not quite as Sinkevichy as I would like, but I guess I'll read it. And, and I did have to like, as soon as I kind of got into it, then I was... I don't know what was going on with my cursory glance, but it is so Sienkiewicz. Mm -hmm. Like it is, you know, but it does get more so the, the further in that you go. I loved the art. I liked the story in amount. I liked the characters. It really did seem like he remembered all of their voices. But I was, I felt like, wow, I, I don't know any of these characters at all. So as a guy who read New Mutants, what do you, hey, what do you think? Um, I like the art. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't as, what'd you say, Django, as Sienkiewicz as I was hoping for? Sienkiewiczian. Sienkiewiczian, mm. yeah. I mean, like, his art on Moon Knight was, like, much more Sienkiewiczian. Mm. Um, definitely reading this, I was like, man, if you'd never read, like, a chunk of New Mutants back then, you'd be going, wow, what the hell's going on? The, the one woman is indentured to Hela at some point. She becomes a Valkyrie, Danny Moonstar. Um, yeah, she captured their, uh, he captured their personalities like they were back then. But a lot of them, I, I like, you know, there's been so much time that's passed since then. Kitty Pride has grown up. All these characters have grown up. I kind of don't care about them back then at these ages anymore. I read that. I read those stories, and they're done and in the past. And eh. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think that's a totally fair read. Yeah. I, it, this is something Marvel's kind of doing right now, right? What hasn't there been a couple other books? There was that Ecstatics one. Yeah, it was just like, hey, remember that book from yeah. the past? Well, from like ten years ago. Yeah. Well, DC too. I mean, last week we had um, Inferior Five it was a direct sequel to Invasion, and this week <clears throat> we've got this New Mutants. Guys, yeah, remember when we period. sold two hundred thousand copies of every comic? <laughs> Let's try it again. Let's yeah. see the same people in the same books. All yeah. we got to do is sell more comics. And I thought this was interesting that it didn't. There's a lot of exposition in the dialogue, which is kind of clunky sometimes, but I always thought it was interesting that he didn't ever bother explaining what Warlock is. Yeah. I mean, he's an alien, obviously, but he never really talks about how he ended up here. Or like a techno-virus? Yeah, what, what, the, is what his evil self is. That's when he gets totally corrupted and becomes the Magus, not to be confused with the Magus from Adam Warlock. Um, was this... Uh, so this was set back in the... 
Claremont Sinkevich days. Yeah. And obviously, I don't know anything about it, but it even seems like it's like when Cypher gets infected with that sort of Warlock's presence, which is yeah. a part of his character. It's like issue 15 or something? Yeah. Pretty early in the run? Yeah. Oh, okay. So there's... I was wondering if like maybe he had never told that story and this was telling that story. No. Yeah. It had been told. And yeah, shortly after Magic became, you know, had spent years in limbo and became sorcerously empowered. Ileana becomes Magic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's like between issues 16 and 32, I think, in New Mutants, give or take. Yeah. And there was some clunky stuff. Don't look that up. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a comic professional. Yeah, yeah. And there's some clunky stuff. Like there was some point when I think her name's Zan, the Vietnamese character, says something about, well, you know, I'm to the villain. Well, you know, I'm Vietnamese and we're we're a determined people and we can always, you know, keep fighting and blah, blah. I was like, what? <laughs> maybe maybe Chris silly. Claremont didn't just write this. Maybe it's been sitting on the shelf for a while. Well, that that, that could be occurred yeah. to me. This yeah. doesn't look like old Sinkevich so much to me. No, Sinkevich and Claremont seems like a really interesting collaboration to me because Claremont seems kind of like the antithesis of Sinkevich. Which Claremont is maybe seems what makes like him a work. fucking spreadsheet compared to Bill Sinkevich. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> you, uh, let me introduce you to my friend Microsoft Excel. Cells and rows. <laughs> and then Sinkevich is like, I am cocaine. <laughs> uh, Scott Shugan was telling me about how in like the Demon Bear saga or something, like as some evil thing was getting like more powerful like just over pages like he just had like a weird little grid that was getting darker the further we get it was just like it's like Kevin <laughs> just did this absolutely bizarre stuff kind of out of nowhere like i'm looking at this page that's got you know warlock taken over cypher and it's just one of the most insane faces yep. combination of faces i've ever seen and like the lines kind of coming off of cypher's face over there uh just Absolutely insane, but I also love Super Warlock's wacky. effect. Yeah. Yeah. So Rowan, what would you what would you give it? And also, can you give me a rough like So what you were saying was not necessarily that this wasn't good, but maybe that you don't want to go back to this spot in this character's lives because you already lived these this time with them and they've grown a bunch, or was this maybe not that great? Uh maybe a little of both, because like there's so much like Rain, for instance, did in X Factor later on when they were X Factor was kind of a private eye firm and everything. Um, so yeah, another an untold adventure or whatever there's back then. You know, I'm not that that into. But also, it did. By the time I got to the end, I mean, I was still enjoying the art and the craziness with like Warlock's face and stuff was great. But I had to struggle to finish this. Mm-hmm. By the time I was at the end, I was like, I don't want to read anymore. I just want to look at the pretty pictures. <laughs> yeah, that, that was me as well. I think that the first third was also particularly like, what is going on? Yeah, I think I, I would give I would give the art like a, geez, an eight and a half. Mm-hmm. But the s- actual story, I think I'd give a five. I would similarly, yeah, I would I would give the art a real high score. I think like eight point five. Uh, I think overall, I'd give the book a six point five. And you know what happens when you add a hundred or a zero to one hundred? You get a thousand. And you know what happens if you add seven times two plus one to that? You get one thousand fifteen. That is a lot of numbers action. Yeah. Um, Action comics. No numbers. So now I read this book and I read my first two books and like one was uh, New Mutants. And I was I was sort of like, okay, I'm getting into my comics for the week. Like I haven't. 
I haven't felt that that surge of like, fuck yeah, I'm reading comics yet. And uh, I got into action comics. After I finished reading it, I texted Roman and Django, and I was like, you guys, it's peak Bendis, so your miles may vary, but uh, Action Comics 1015 was, like, I loved it. I read it tonight. Also loved it. I totally missed that Miles Morales joke you slipped in there with the I Bendis didn't. thing. That's good. Shut up. God damn it. <laughs> okay, so you also liked it a lot? I did. Okay, Roman, what did you think? It was all right. It was all right? Yeah. Say, say that like you're a Bendis character cartoon that Roman thinks Bendis characters talk like. Uh, what was the last thing he said? So I just want to get right in. T- <laughs> um, uh, so, Roman, what I want to tell you is what I love so much about this book. Um, because I, I did think, like, gosh, I don't know how Roman's going to feel with this because it's very Bendis. But this follows up on Naomi, the miniseries that ended, and it's Naomi going to talk to Superman. So what I loved about this, Roman, mm-hmm. was that when I was young and I was in school or when I was in you know high school or daycare, like my entire life, I've never felt like I can go to adults because they don't really give a fuck about me or they don't really, like, even, like, teachers, they didn't want to look at things the way that you were looking at. My whole life, people have just been sort of like, well, Jeff, you're kind of on the fringe, so like, I'm, it, it's easier to just write somebody off than give them credence. That, that's sort of my experience with adults and people in power. This picks up with Naomi needing to go talk to Superman because she found out at the end of that miniseries that that bad guy destroyed her planets, came through here, and... She goes to Superman to tell him about that, and he trusts her, and he shows her respect, and he talks to her, and he makes her feel listened to, and it just was, to me, what I've always wanted, like, interacting, that, you know, just that doubt you have when you're trying to tell somebody something, and you don't think they're going to believe you, and then when that moment where they actually have faith in you, and, like, that's just kind of like a, that's a really emotional thing to me, because I've not... I didn't, especially when I was young, that wasn't a thing that I was given a ton. You're uh, still young, Jeff. I am still young. And Jealous it was just the perfect, I think, one shot. And yep. it also gave some really wonderful Batman stuff. Yeah, the Batman stuff was awesome. It was very good. So that's why I super, super loved it. Just for you. That was info dump. I wanted oh. to text you that that night. Oh, I was okay. like, oh, fuck, it's too long, but. I just liked it because uh, Mark Russell's characters, the Wonder Twins, are in it. Yeah, that was pretty good. <laughs> I liked that too. I really like that they that like Superman brings her back to the Hall of Justice. Yeah, he does introduce her to the Wonder Twins, mm-hmm. but also um, like that's where Batman shows up in a real cre- creepy, spooky Batman way Loved and starts it. like kind of ambushing her with these questions and, and abuse, like Batman abuse. Bat abuse, if you will. But Ray Palmer saying, hey, which of these Earths are you from? Like, everybody knows the multiverse map. I really like that because kind of on a more meta level, you deal with a lot of superheroes that talk about this shit casually. But to have her have no idea what the heck he's talking about was really interesting to me. And the way that they sort of superimposed that Morrison multiverse map over it Mm -hmm. and even gave a rundown of like... Your Earth might be part of this multiverse, or you might be part of another dimension that lies on top of this multiple dimension. We call it the Snyderverse. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, I just, I love how deep Bendis is diving into DC canon continuity. Like, I think he writes it like somebody who's been writing DC comics for 10 years. Yeah. I, well, I, I love, I mean, it's interesting hearing you say that about All-Star Superman because, I mean, I kind of noticed that, but it didn't imp- impact me. 
that kind of way because I guess because on some level I was just like, well, yeah, that's the way superheroes and adults are supposed to be. It sure is how but, they're supposed but, to be. But but yeah, I was a kid too. And hearing you talk about that, I was a kid that like. I always like being around adults more than I did kids. Me too. Because I always just felt more in tune with them. Um, but looking back at this now, I'm like, yeah, yeah, just right. Um, I love the way this began with Naomi flying there because the art. It's, it's just like the nice first the way. Yeah, and it's just the way nice the way the art captures her energy around her and the clumsiness of her flying and her realizing she doesn't know how to land. Right. And I, li- I liked – there's only a couple of Bendis moments with dialogue. I thought, oh, god damn it, Bendis. Because um, he does that thing that – like when Batman offers her breakfast and and offers her eggs or something or says get her eggs and she's like, eggs? Like she's never heard of eggs. That kind of thing just bugs me when Bendis does that. But for the most part, I really liked Batman and her. I really liked Superman and her relationship. Um, there was a lot of good humor. There was a lot of good treatment of her. And, and actually – trying to help her out not just like oh here's this new super person we'll shove her aside and let's get on with what what we're doing it's kind of like a first meeting between superheroes and a new superhero that we don't usually get to see and if we do it's like oh I'm the new Green Lantern oh hey Green Lantern let's go fuck some shit up (laughs) yeah yeah and both of them in in their own Batman and Superman ways paying a lot of attention to this new person and not Batman just like oh join the outsiders cool getting back (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> back of the elevator shot. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was so good. There's stuff with them that when Superman flies off to deal with the Red Cloud, Red Cloud, and yeah. that's that was the part I could do without. Yeah, that was the part I was like, I don't care about Red Cloud. Let's get back to Naomi and Batman. Come on. Yeah, but that had some interesting stuff in it too. I thought, like when he started fighting her, I was like, God damn it, I don't care about this stuff at all. But there were a couple of really interesting bits in there that I enjoyed like the the stuff with the mayor who's at the bar with the red cloud yeah, I thought was cool and when she like rock bottom. yeah when she flies superman past Perry's office I like that quite a bit um yeah and actually that dialogue is they're going past Perry's office where where he mentions who they're helping this new hero and Red Cloud's like, and what? You're you're super proud of her, and I should be ashamed of myself and Superman's response says, well, not my words, but <laughs> yeah <laughs> I really like the the scene where she's trying to figure out how to fly behind him, uh, like right. Oh, yeah. Oh, like, yeah. like bend your knees when you take off, and then she has a super awkward four panel. <laughs> and the birds thing. are moving though. Yeah. yeah, yeah. She's just kind of bad at flying, <laughs> and you can tell that Superman knows what's going on behind him, and he looks back when she's all got her shit together. Well, well what, what 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 do you do with it? What, what do you make it make it do? Uh, I'll give this a nine. Yeah. What? Yeah. Surprise! Whoa! <laughs> okay. All right. I heard it, and then I processed it, and I realized I was surprised. That's very surprising to me. We're uh, we're on a scale of fifty-seven. Oh, darn it! <laughs> he gives it a nine out of fifty-seven. Oh it's man, like a one two-ish. for every one of his years. <laughs> no, I I really this is one of my the my favorite Bendis DC books so far. Nice Act, individual issues so far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm really um, glad that you liked it. I, I give it an eight. Yeah, seven and a half, eight. We'll say eight. Somebody's tracking these, right? Like anybody who's listening to our podcast, somebody, Phil gave up. Phil put the He's not doing a spreadsheet anymore? No, he stopped. Damn it. Yeah. Anybody who's going backwards on these podcasts, look, if you start (laughs) counting our scores and give us a spreadsheet. $50 gift certificate. Oh, yeah. And a trade paperback (laughs) of our choice. $50 gift certificate and a trade paperback of our choice. If someone 
re listens to the podcast and writes each of our scores for each of the books that comes out that week. That is an insane task <laughs> to ask somebody to do. So if anyone ever does that because they're data hounds like Django and I are. We'll give you 50 bucks and then we're calling the cops because no, you need help. And I want to touch your belly button. <laughs> um, but yeah, that would be insane. I would love that. Jeff. Yeah. Ah. You didn't give it a score. Oh yeah, I would go nine nine point five. You can also in the in the reporting of the spreadsheet, uh, you can report ranges if we say nine nine point five. High and low for the series, or if I uh, inadvertently, like if our mom is listening, edited out a score because when a person reported the score, it was so entrenched in a goof that I had to cut out there that it was just easier to remove the score. You can just leave a blank. A that goofy duck. Almost every episode. <laughs> a goofy duck. That was good. Hey Roman, huh, did you yeah. read White Trees number two? I did not. Django? I came for the dicks and I got nothing. I got nothing here. <laughs> uh, White Trees, A Black Sand Tale, number two, Chip Zdarsky, Chris Anka, and Matt Wilson. Django, you weren't on the podcast the week that we talked about the first issue. Was I not? No. So you want to know what I thought? I do. I don't care about the setting. Yeah, it's like, fantasy. Just I don't straight either. up fantasy like this doesn't do much for me. I think that they did some cool stuff with the sex. Um, Django. What? I've heard you do some pretty cool stuff with the sex, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I use my whole body. Entire body. Man, I just punched my hand and it hurt. Yeah, you're a little man. A, like a boner sound effect. <laughs> Ew! I think I probably would have given the first issue like a seven and a half, mostly based on the boldness of the story, mm -hmm. not based on... like. Not based on the setting, not based on the characters, which were fine, but they didn't hold any interest to me. Um, but just just having, uh, you know, foreskin and fairy bisexual <laughs> relations throughout the, the last half of the book, I thought was an interesting thing to do. And uh, God, this is the dick podcast, isn't it? Oh, There's dicks all over this episode. No, the one where we talked about the first issue of this had a lot more dick conversation okay. in it. Well, anyway, I read this one. Still don't care about the setting, but I liked... I guess I liked the the twist at the end, even though it was kind of like... Pretty I hope you're paying attention. It's kind of Game of Thronesy. Yeah. Like, read this whole page block of text. I was impressed with... Uh, the death of the major character at the end and, and how he was kind of sent off in his imagination. Spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. Um, but just in general, like, if you braid your beard, I probably won't want to read your comic. <laughs> I think Chip can do whatever he wants with his beard. Yeah, I mean, this lion face guy, I just don't care. And, like, give me sci-fi... If this exact same story was set on a space station, I would have been all fucking about it. <laughs> yeah. And instead, it's, you know, I just don't love swords and, and uh, wolf skin sleeveless vests. I um, God, I love that stuff. <laughs> I really agree with you, Django. I, fantasy just doesn't quite hit for me. I've been on record as saying that a lot in on the podcast in the last 150 episodes. <laughs> um, you know, lifelong, just not that into fantasy. I do think that they did chip did quite a few things to make me invested in these characters yeah more than i would have given the you know like the fantasy background of it and that we only had two issues mm -hmm. so what I, I i think i was sort of impressed with the first issue quite a bit for the first like couple of days after having read it but i i did sort of fall back into a place of like yeah i was i'm impressed by the audacity of it but in reality 
I don't think that there was a lot of incredibly innovative stuff. I think the art is gorgeous. I think the characters are well done. But it's like when I get to, when I get to some of these pages, I'm like, okay, there's a lot of words on here: horse riding, horse riding, horse riding, horse riding, <laughs> horse riding. That guy's got a sword. Okay, what's next? But what I do really want to give it credit for is, first of all, this double page spread in the middle of this town. Oh yeah, that was super cool. We'll get a shot of that on the <clears throat> YouTube feed, but that made me stop and actually think like, oh, I could see why you might like fantasy. Just because yeah. like all of the implications about how the city has formed and the, the you know, the sheer vertical cliffs and buildings settled on it. And it's just beautiful. And this, this shot of, uh, you know, the, the main, one of the main guys riding with the sun. Like the lighting is great. Matt Wilson, Chris Anka, amazing artists. But yeah, what I really think is that they did a fantastic job of making me care about these characters and be invested in them in two issues and have a resolution and story beats that felt like there was weight to them. Yeah. And in the current comic book climate, I think that's pretty hard to do with two issues. Yeah. So I do I do think that they did a really good job with that. I think it's a beautiful, beautifully drawn book, beautifully colored book. I think it's well written. Do you think he's coming back to this world? I think so. I hope so. I, I think it would be really cool to explore this world in two issue chunks Mm -hmm. give me two issues every two years or something just like when you got the time you make these um now kind of going along with what we were saying earlier could you see this book being rewritten in different settings oh i mean i I because think, I could see it as a Western. I guess I, that's my, kind of my thing, but it didn't bring a lot new to the table. I think yeah. it, it has been done, and it will be done again, and in different genres. Just like the three retired warriors get tricked by you know, their emperor that they were serving to go fight the bad guys for him, and it turns out he was the bad guy. And then I mean, they it's, sad, you know. it's the Green Valley, but the Green Valley took 12 issues to do it. Yeah, so I appreciate how succinct it was. If I had known that that was going to be the story piece, I don't know that I would read it, would have read yeah. it. Um, but do you feel tricked by the first issue? No, I would give this, uh, six. I would give it a 7.5. It, I think it was really well done. Not quite my genre. I'd like to like it more. I would like to like it more also. You know what I do feel? I feel like I like quite a bit and I think it's warranted. Django. Me? Yeah. Me? Is it because I'm not fantasy? Oh, you're... I'm a hundred percent real. Yeah, you sure are. Also, Roman, though. Oh yeah. Mm. Even despite my my so much fantasy, I call you the Roma dope. The Roma dope. Yeah, it's one of my favorite finisher moves. <laughs> um, Roman, what would you have given that issue if you read it? I, I, I would give it a seven point five. Like okay, that. put that in gray on the spreadsheet. Yeah, I was just thinking, <laughs> put, put fictional numbers and colors. Yeah, yeah. Django. Am I the only one that read this thing? You are. You are. Gosh. So it's going to fall on you to pronounce his name. I wish that you guys had been here to hold this comic up while I was reading it because it it's a biggie. I really wish DC would cut the fuck out of this oversized black label book, even though they're not using the black label imprint anymore. Yeah, they are. Yeah. Aren't they, Aren't they not? Though? No, they are. But they said they're not. No, they're they're going to keep using black okay, label. Okay, I thought so because it's been in all the months of yeah, previous no, they're, they're still using black label, okay. but it's it's DC black label. Okay, but so, uh, so eventually then I have like bags and boards that are the black label size. That's just a magazine. Also well, kind of a magazine. Well, it's like not a magazine. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Holding in Zoom and Ink and black label to just be DC. Well, 
It's fucked. They're keeping the black label <laughs> yeah. imprint. Okay. Just like they're keeping the young animal imprint around for okay. now. Okay. So there, there are imprints that they're keeping. They just got rid of Vertigo. And I think that and they just changed the ink and Zoom to DC Kids, yeah. which is a lot less hyper-focused. And Zoom nice and Ink that. are both names that I could never keep straight as to which one was which. Yeah. 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 Anyway, Harleen number one by Stephen Sejic. Yeah. If that's wrong, fuck you. Call in, Steve <laughs> Steven. Um, this is so. Sejic is the the guy that wrote and drew Sunstone. Is that yes. right? Yes. And his wife does some art in that world of stories as well. Okay. Uh, which is an image series that we keep in the adults only section. I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of which, after this podcast, we should talk about exactly how to display safe sex. Yeah, I agree. Um, <laughs> Very careful. But this is a kind of a reworked, rejiggered, if you will, version of the Harley Quinn origin story. And uh, it's okay. <laughs> like there was, there was, it, it's like if you could take this character that was created for a children's cartoon and draw her super realistic. And then let fuck bombs fly around her. Mm. You would have this comic. And by fuck bombs, swear words. Oh, okay. Like cusses, daddy letters, daddy words. Yeah, daddy do, <laughs> daddy do talk, daddy do talk. Um, do talk, daddy. It's so. Sometimes I think movies will get rated PG, PG thirteen, or R because they're kind of. Like, the, the subject matter is a little bit dry. Mm-hmm. And maybe they throw in some swear words or some nudity, but but it seems like mostly this is a movie that, you know, couldn't give a PG rating to this. All the kids would fall asleep if they right. went to it. And that's kind of what this book felt like. It felt like trying to take a character that is all about, like, kind of being bubbly and goofy and just kind of sucked all the fun out of it and gave us a very sort of play-by-play description of Harley's life before she turned into Harley Quinn. And I hope that in subsequent issues we get a little more action because the this issue ends with her finally talking to the Joker as his psychiatrist. So it might just be a really long setup for a super cool payoff, but so far I didn't love it. Um I read the whole thing, and it took a long time. That's the thing about these black label books. Sometimes they're rewarding. And honestly, Jeff, you said you hope that they get rid of the size. At this point, I hope that they don't, because I'm going to need one full magazine box of these. Or (laughs) where the heck am I going to store them? I mean, where the fudge am I going to store Wait, black label. Where the the cock am I going to store them? (laughs) Yeah, I like Stephen Sejic's art quite mm-hmm. a bit it has a real highly if it's got an unfinished quality to it but it's very proficient as well but like his lines and his colors like they don't always line up perfectly and sometimes mm-hmm. the colors like go over the lines or it's like if Wilsh Portacio drew people with regular body shapes and he's got a really broad following I get mm-hmm. people who I would never expect are like, oh, I really like Steven Cedric's art. And I'm like, he 
his main distribution is sort of online. He's like a oh, huge deviant art, and he releases a bunch of internet comics that people are really into. That's how Sunstone originally came out. Um, so this I is, like his style. This is my favorite panel in the whole book, and it doesn't look anything like his art. Yeah. It looks a little bit like uh, Araho but like, to me. Yeah, I, I agree. There's um, She's a problematic character. Uh, I don't like, same as Django, I don't like the glorification kind of of her brokenness and, and her problems and her traumas as being as being things to be emulated or, or I like don't know. hip or cool. Yeah. The Joker's cool. not even, like yeah. the Joker is broken just like that, but we see him as a very bad guy mm-hmm. and we see her Usually, as like a cool though, chick. Though I did flip through this and I was curious, the art, um, uh, the artist writer whose name I can't pronounce. Thank you. Exactly. Steven. He uh, draws the Joker very good looking, metrosexual. Dapper. Yeah, dapper. And there's a great sequence where he gets slammed into a wall by Batman across from from Harleen. And he gives her a great smile, blood, you know, coming out of his mouth, and then all of a sudden there's his eyes go wide as Batman yanks his bat rope and pulls him back into the mist. I like that shot. And it's a great sequence, but what bothered me about it is Joker looks so metrosexual and attractive, and I don't want Joker to look attractive, but I was like, but I was thinking, maybe this is just the way Harleen sees him. This isn't the way he really looks. That's a cool... Because I want him to look like you know, like uh, what's his name in the Dark Knight movies, or or Scarred or even Jack up. Nicholson, his old Joker, or this new bomb that's about to drop yeah, next yeah, week. Yeah, he shouldn't be an attractive person. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he definitely is. This is this is definitely like the Jared Leto Joker before he got tattoos. Yeah, or yeah, a cult. Uh, so, what do you give it? <clears throat> I would give this one a five and a half or a six, I think, and that's just for me. If you're looking at the the skill level and probably like just being objective uh, as far as like is this a good comic or not I would I would say it's probably a seven or an eight for somebody else um, so I'd, I'd be curious to see what Dino thinks of it because he's a huge Harley fan oh okay or enough of a Harley fan that he got both covers um, and I'd be curious to see what what Dino or a few other uh, Harley Quinn or Steven Sejic fans think of this comic because I think it was just kind of built to fail for me. I do really like this cover, the main cover, I guess it yeah. is. Guys, I want to quickly talk about Powers of Ten. <laughs> really? Really? Do and I want to quickly do it. <laughs> I'm going to do it quickly. Are, are you finally getting into this book now? I'm finally getting into it. Jangle, you couldn't guffaw any harder. Um, oh, yeah, do it quick, buddy. I like this one quite a bit. Uh, it is mostly Charles Xavier and Magneto recruiting Forge to build the computer system that would be storing the consciousness of all the X-Men. And it also has uh, Charles and Magneto recruiting Emma Frost <clears throat> to basically be one of the 12 people that's going to be sitting on the table of the government that's going to be um, sort of ruling the new nation of Krakoa. But also to be in charge of the company that's going to be distributing the drugs, which I thought was uh, a really cool part of kind of the chess pieces that they have to lay out to make this nation work. And they're making it, you know, they're shady. With each of these issues, I don't feel better about where <laughs> Charles is coming morally from. Um, 
And then we had a, a two-page thing about the year 1000 uh, ascension that I thought was really cool because there's a scene where the future Nimrod is is talking about his assumption of sort of what the phalanx is doing. One cool thought I had while reading this book is that this phalanx, which is this sort of hyperstructure of consciousness that have been bound together, almost seems like maybe the the end product of this machine that Forge is building that's storing all the mutant consciousnesses of like, uh, there seems to be like maybe some connection between this consciousness bank that's a big part of this and this phalanx part that's a big part of it. Because we still don't really know yet why this phalanx uh, part of this story is is a big part of what's going on. Well, so, oh, go ahead. Isn't the phalanx the ones, isn't Warlock from New Mutants? He's one of the phalanx? Yeah, I believe so, because yeah. there was that phalanx covenant story so, so yeah. long ago. And so... so and they look just like him. Right, exactly. Oh, according right. to Bilson Kovach. No, they, they really do. Uh, and it's made me want to read that old one. But <clears throat> I'm just trying to find connections to, like, you know, what are the hidden lines connecting these story elements that I don't really know yet. Is this scene where the phalanx comes and takes the elder away, is that just a duplicate of the scene that we saw before when he disappeared? Because I thought we already saw this guy get consumed by the phalanx. We saw someone get consumed or get re- like rejected this i believe picks up right after it so i don't think that it had been like they hadn't been kissed by the phalanx and and brought up yet or accepted okay. yet i'd have to look at it because i thought that there were three people standing there the first time and i thought that the old guy was the one that disappeared the one that we were bouncing around the idea that maybe it's uh professor x well or also- his body it could be both of them because there's these bioorganic, uh, technogranic robot humans are transferring their consciousness to just robot husks because that's the only way that the phalanx will absorb them. Okay. So maybe the actual person and the robot that has his consciousness were both, both there okay. because they are copying consciousness into that. Um, loving it. Still love this book. Love it so, so very, very much. Um, really like what it's all getting at. This one had a real sort of Game of Thrones feel to me of just sort of like setting up these politics and bartering for chairs at this like 12 person on the table. She's like, all right, I'll do it, but I get two chairs. Right. And uh, they also want her to bring um, the old leader of the Hellfire Club, Sebastian Shaw, back. There have been three or four issues of this series that I had the thought while I was reading it. I wish that this was what the story was. Uh-huh. So, like, I would read six issues of this comic mm-hmm. as they're setting up the nation of Krakoa yeah. and putting all of these political chess pieces on the board and, you know, duping people into doing their will and bargaining and, you know, right. all of that. I would love to sit down and read a giant big old 200-page story <laughs> about that. Yeah. Um, and that's happened more than once in this series. So... Kudos to Hickman for doing that. The thing that jumped out to me in this issue, and it's something that had occurred to me earlier on. I don't know if I brought it up on the podcast or if we talked about it or not, but um, the thing that they're doing with these consciousnesses is basically just creating a backup array like you would with a computer. Oh, yeah. So you could pull out any one hard drive and everything still keeps running. Yeah. Right? So you, you've got multiple redundancies. And I think that that's kind of what the um, Technarch, the world mind, and the phalanx are also is, is like these giant groups of information that are stored separately that 
are sort of redundant to each other and sharing all this data. Yeah. Um, and, and I that's thought sort it was... of why I almost feel like they're connected in some way, like that yeah. technology grows over time to become this thing. Or well, something. wasn't it? It's the stronghold that needs to have five. And at some point in an issue earlier, um, somebody, I think it was Professor X, is saying, well, we need five, at least five mutants to do this. Hmm. And that was to create the, the life, the, the, the rebirth of yeah. those those characters. So, um, yeah, it, it just, it the, this issue, and I read it real, real fast this morning before I came to work because I was kind of on a tight time schedule. This issue over and over made me think about the... How, how Hickman probably did a whole bunch of research into local and remote backups for his computer yeah. while he came up with this concept. Because oh, yeah. it's, it's super... Computer. It's very... Super computer. Techie. Roman, where are you at with it? I love this one, too. I mean, I, kind of like you were saying, Django, I, I could... I love these moments, the bartering between Emma and Magneto especially. Um, uh, okay, fine. 50 years. Yeah, yeah. The thing with Namor and Namor just kind of calling Professor X's bluff, saying, you know, come back to me when you can just be up front and really say what we both know is happening. Yeah, and I love that he's like, you seem like somebody who's recently realized that you're better than everyone else. I have always yeah, known I'm better always than everyone else. Come back. And, and even the art, I love Namor's throne, how not only the usual sharks and things around it, but Namor's throne seems to be Cthulhu. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, The opening page... The quote is, they will think we are doing one thing, but the truth is we are doing something altogether def- different. Does Professor he say X. that in here? He hasn't yet. Th- these quotes haven't been within the issues themselves. Oh, I, really? Yeah, but I sometimes they are. I think the back ones are generally. But that, to me, is I think really what's going on here is I think we're still far away from realizing what this is like what this 12 issue thing is is going to snap into place in the next two issues. Or maybe it won't because I really do think he's seeding his series that he's going to be doing. You know, I mm. I love, and I've always mentioned on the podcast, I love back in the 80s um, and 90s, like they would just sort of like seed things that were going to happen for months and then the story would happen. You know, like Eddie Brock was showing up or Venom was showing up a lot before Venom showed up. That's what yeah. Spider-Man's doing right now where they've they've leaked out this character forever and ever and ever. Yeah. And now we get like, okay, nope, not quite. And I really like that. And so I think that he's really doing 12 issues of things that are going to be fed into in, in the later stuff that would bum me out a lot yeah i i you know I, I think that it could come back to that big thing of i think that this 12 issues is sort of a zero issue right setting the stage for these other six issues and i think that that's super fine with me and i love it because the x-men needed a hard reset yeah and it's been you know 20 years of them having needed a hard reset so you give it a 10 i give it a 10 i give even it a t- even with R.B. Silva's weird signature on the cover? Right there, his new signature for Sorry, the last like, year. I thought it was a secret variant when I saw it on there on this print. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I didn't realize that that was his signature. I thought it was some weird little art it's, thing. <laughs> it's a, it's a, yeah. Hmm. Roman, what do you give it? I was trying to be, I'm trying to be succinct about it. We got nine minutes in there? I Hey, man, I tried to in like not two a, times and you joined in. So not I was a just trying to get it out there. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm playing a game with you. I'm seeing yeah. how long we can make this guy. I could talk about this book for an entire podcast. Can you talk uh, about why Mr. Sinister's on the cover and not really inside? I think that it's supposed to mirror the fact that House of X number five had a big glory shot of Apocalypse on it. So I think they were sort of showing two. It's almost the same image. Right. Um, but they're both... 
You're just fucking with me. <laughs> I want to know how Mr. Sinister's, how his, like, cape fronds, I mean, they must have wires in them. How do they all stay erect and in the I right positions? Thought, don't say they erect. were metallic when I was growing up, oh, like in the anime okay. and stuff, because they're blue and they shine. Oh, okay. I think it's just clothes hangers in there. Oh, I like that, too. What do you, what do you give it, Roman? It's, it's quite quite spectacular um i'm no, gonna 9.5 uh, uncanny i really like this i'm I'm really hoping namor figures into things more yeah because i like namor i think he will i think franklin yeah, richards a, is still yeah. gonna factor he's into things oh yeah namor's a mutant yeah. yeah he's marvel's first mutant you got a question you got any questions for me oh, Django? i don't know let's uh let's see what we have here we got a I voice got questions. voicemail should we listen to this voicemail? Yeah. yeah. Is this the one we should listen to? Sure. Holy moly, this is a long one. I don't know if this is relevant or not. You might have to cut it all out. Load, phone, load, load. You're embarrassing me. Hey, guys. It's ya boy, Matt Goff. Um, I had a couple things. First of all, I cackled way too loud when Justin said that he was uh, papped in the closet. <laughs> um, second, I was kind of curious... Uh, since I'm fairly new to the store and all you lovely humans, um, where you guys uh, came from and uh, like how you landed in Bellingham, how you landed in the uh, comic store industry, um, and uh, all that delicious uh, biographical information. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Love the pod. Love the store. Love the uh, Hickman X-Men run. Peace. Should we do this chronologically and start with Roman? Yeah, let's do that. Matt, <laughs> thanks a ton. Uh, it's cool to get to talk about our past and in, in a way that makes me think anyone would actually care. So thank you. <laughs> and uh, it's been really cool to get to know you as well. So I really appreciate you coming to our store. I know you make a drive up here to, to visit us, and we really appreciate that. And your excitement about the comics and about the shop and the podcast are really infectious. So thank you very much for being a part of the shop. Roman? How'd you get to Bellingham? Yeah. Why do you work at this comic shop? <laughs> well, I was born in a little log oh, yeah, comic yeah, shop yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. a log board, comic yeah. shop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> in the wilds of Saskatchewan. Um, no, I came to Bellingham to I transferred up from my community college in Bremerton to, to go to Western. And uh, the second job I ever had in Bellingham was the comics place. Back when the original owner, Mike Goodson, owned it. What was your first job? My first job, I got a job at Oh, there used to be a, actually where Planned Parenthood is now. That was back in like '92. That On the was corner of like Taco Truck and Grocery Outlet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a Royal Fork buffet. I got a job there. I went in for my first day, and you know, young, young, irresponsible. I went in my first day, and I was like, "Man, this place sucks." And <laughs> I quit. Like and I forty-two. Yeah, and I quit. <laughs> really? <laughs> before yeah. Or after the PC so I never, so I never actually worked a full shift there. No, that's after. That was okay. down at Paul's Ball. Okay. Wow. Yeah, and then the second job I had was the comics place. Actually, Steve Myers, who's still a customer. Oh, yeah. And a former Watch employee. Pigford. Everyone go say hi to Huge Steve. Huge yeah, fan. Yeah. He came home. He was my roommate in college, and he came home from the comics place one day and told me, hey, Mike's looking for somebody to work there. You should go talk to him. Did you put the Royal Fork half-a-day work on your resume? or did I did you, not. Uh... <laughs> I did not. In fact, I showed up there, got my free-a-day staff meal, and then quit. Fuck y'all. <laughs> yeah. Wow. What a dick. <laughs> wow. But, I mean, just for the record, that doesn't indicate your potential longevity for uh, a job because no. 
uh, 63 years later, <laughs> you're still here and still somehow 36 years yeah, old. Yeah, <laughs> slinging comics. Yeah, yeah. So what year was that that you started working here? Uh, 92 or 3? 92 or 3. I think it was 92. I hadn't even graduated from high school yet. Wow, really? That's a long time ago. Were you, were you alive yet? You were alive. I was doing <laughs> math in my head. <laughs> so I don't know. I think I was alive. <laughs> what year were you what born? Were you born? 89. Sorry, I was, I was doing you the math in my head to see how long I've been here. So I oh. didn't hear your sentence. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, that's, that's a long time. So you've been here. Have you worked for every owner of the comic store then? Because uh, it went yeah, Mike to yeah, Jason to... Mike, Jason, Art. Brian, Brian Major Brian in the middle, yeah, or not Major, geez, Brian, Brian Major. <laughs> yeah, that, he's an artist. He, that, that's my other world, the art world. Brian Major is a local artist. Brian Morgan. Um, Brian Morgan's. Um, yeah, Jeff. Yeah, you guys. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I have. Wow. Man, room uh, like a year after I got hired, or maybe not even quite a year, but you were talking to somebody. I think that someone said, like, someone I think complimented you on having hired me, and you said. It's the best decision I've ever made here. And that was like one of the that was like one of the nicest things anyone had ever said to me. Like that that was uh, a small compliment that you made um that went a huge way with me. That was that really appreciated. appreciated oh, well, that. I always go back to it because it's true. It's well, true. It is the that. best thing I ever did for the store. Um no. No, just you're, just you're the amazing. best thing you ever did. No. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um uh, I'll go next, unless that's not chronological. I was thinking store chronological. Okay, like, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. the new oh, kid on the yeah. block here. <laughs> um, well, I'm from a small, small town in the northeast corner of Washington, and my dad and I used to drive two hours to Spokane uh, to go to the closest comic shop. Uh, like, once a year, he and I would go get a hotel room in Spokane for two nights, and we would go to that comic shop and rent a whole bunch of anime and get a bunch of comics and stay in a hotel <laughs> and watch anime and read comics because we didn't get to do that in our hometown. Um, and I grew up like loving sci-fi art and you know comics and superheroes and and then at some point got really bit by the music bug and really wanted to do that with my life and I was about to go to the University of Idaho and then my girlfriend at the time had gotten some great scholarship options here at Western so I decided to go to Western with her and right after I graduated I applied for a job at the comic shop because I felt I had earned like six months of not doing anything hard. <laughs> Joke's on you. Yeah, like, I was like, I, I finished school, so I'm going to just get a part-time job because I deserve that. Um, and just worked really hard to get that job. And I've told the story, Roman, Roman finally hired me um, after Eric Cranbrink gave me a big quiz in the shop and <laughs> I passed it and Eric was on our X-Men podcast where we answered those, he answered a question for us. Um, but th there was a little blip there though. Cause I remember I was down to hiring you or one other person. You were my first choice, but then you were going to go to Seattle to pursue the music career. Yeah, I was going to do and that. I, and I was really bummed that you well, were leaving I wanted, town. <laughs> well, I mean, Roman, I, I had said that because I had been trying to get a job here for quite a while, and I didn't get hired. So I was like, okay, I probably should go somewhere I can get a job. Um, thing, And I now understand things at a comic shop move slow. <laughs> and we've been about to hire somebody for like four months. Yeah, so, it's weird being on this end of, of how slow something so can be. So I totally be, get huh? it. Um, so yeah, that was like, I just, I grew up, loving comics and loving nerd stuff and 
kind of found another outlet that I loved, which is music, which I still love, and I love to play music and study it and talk about it, and uh, it's, you know, I love it as almost as much as comics, but a thing that happened is that as I was in college, I got really tired and sick of talking to people about music because it felt like a really not very genuine thing. And I think a lot of people know what I'm talking about. There's uh, there's a lot of sort of social posturing that goes on when people talk about music. I think for some reason it's a very, it's a social mechanism to seem a certain way. Mm-hmm. And you can get a bunch of clout if you've heard certain things or when you saw what or who you've met. And I just, got, like, it really broke my heart to want to genuinely talk about this stuff and feel like it was never a real thing. And what I remember at that moment in my life, I was looking around and like comic books, like adults in my life that liked comic books or people my age that liked comic books, like to be 30 years old and like comic books means that you probably got made fun of at some point for liking comic books. And if you still like comic books, then that there's a real sort of sense of truth and value in your own experience that really like moves me to this day to think about. And when Django and I like go to these comics pro meetings with a bunch of other people who own comic stores, like it actually moves me to be to tears to be in a room with people who have given their life to this same thing. It's it's a totally uncelebrated underappreciated thing, but people love comic books and they give their life to sell them. And I And the rewards are not often monetary no they're not monetary at all um (laughs) and i am just like incredibly humbled to get to be amongst a a group of people that have given their life to this thing that is art that feels very very special to me so um yeah it's it's i i I love it i love it so i've been here i was only going to be here for a couple months and it's been like six and a half years and um now we're here well gosh i grew up I was born in New Orleans. I grew up on the road. Uh, my dad's a musician, so we were in a new town every night for seven years, traveling around the country while he was on tour. And uh, at some point, I was introduced to Indiana Jones. I started collecting all things Indiana Jones, and I collected a bunch of Indiana Jones comics. It took, uh, I don't know how long, but it felt like forever, but it might have just been a few months to find number 19, which was the last one missing in our in our collection. Um and my brother and I just really loved those indie comics, but we didn't collect comics. We collected Indiana Jones. And uh, hmm. in like 1989, uh, we went into a store that I've tried to find since. They've, they've closed. I don't even know where it was in town, but in, Key, in uh, St. Augustine, Florida, uh, I think we were, we were maybe even waiting for my youngest brother to be born or meeting the midwife who's going to deliver my youngest brother in the long run. But we went into this this comic store and I found uh, The Shadow Number 14 by Andy Helfer and Kyle Purple Baker. Cover. Purple cover. It's The Shadow in a Coffin, it turns a, out. He gave me a copy of that comic a couple of years I'm ago. I'm going to give you a lot more than just one of those. I'm, I got, I, I'm going to leak them out to you once a year. You're going to get... Like it. Uh, and my brother, I, so I bought that for probably a buck and my brother bought the first issue of Legends of the Dark Knight with the yellow cover. Yeah. And we just started collecting those. And uh, it didn't take long for us to have a full box of comics, like a long box. And because we were in an Airstream trailer being pulled by a 55 Chevy, we weren't allowed to have more than one long box of comics. I don't know if you guys know how how heavy comics are. Have you experienced that I, yeah. working here? Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so we pretty quickly had a one-in-one-out policy. And That's my, super cool. Yeah. So my brother and I got really good Curate at coming bit. to a new town, bringing the comics we were done with into a comic store and horse trading them for something that we were more interested in because we just we weren't allowed to have more than that. And uh, 
you know, that that probably is a pretty formative part of me kind of being into business, like quote unquote business and and trying to maximize what you've got for something else that you want to have. Um, quote unquote business is a great way to describe what we do here. Oh yeah. A this quote is, unquote business. If you went to business school, they'd tell you don't do like 45% of the things we do. And don't work with comics. Uh, yeah. And don't hire your friends. Yeah. How long have our friends worked here? The whole time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, I, eventually I ended up in Wyoming and then I moved here with a friend and ended out and ended up here, not directly, but pretty, pretty quickly just ended up here. Years and years later, I had had a store and uh, art, Art was looking for somebody to help with a website. I don't know if Jeff vouched for me for the website. I, I know you got me hired. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what happened. Like, I was, I was just a dude on the outside. You guys weren't even my comic shop until a year or two before, um, before I started working here. Well, I mean, let's clarify for the story. You were definitely a customer. <laughs> but for the first six months that I worked here, you never came in. You just had an enormous file. <laughs> yep. Um, and you had also done some online comic booking stuff that didn't interfere with the comic spaces business at all. But for some reason, art took issue with that. Yeah. And we had a different guy doing computer stuff at the time who was kind of a deadbeat. And uh, and I to this day, I'm always like super offended about rewarding people for not working. Right. And that was kind of what that guy was doing. And, uh, yeah, like, yeah, there was just, you came in, you started your file back up. Um, I bought all the crossed comics you first, bought, I think. I think you bought all, I mean, I think I assume you got all the stuff, but, yeah. I, I traded remember, shelves for a good portion of that. Well, I don't know if you know about my fixture obsession. It got me <laughs> back into comics, Jeff. Yeah, there, but there was just a moment where, like, totally un, uninvited and un-anything, you came into the store, and I had assembled a bookshelf with a bunch of bundles that I had made, and and you said like, "Oh, I bet those would sell a lot better if you faced those out." You said something <laughs> like that, and for some reason, you give off you gave off an air, and you still give off an air of just like, "I think I'll listen to that guy." So I did that. Fools. And I don't even remember. I'm sure they sold because they did all sell eventually. But I just remembered really liking like I like that that guy said do this thing. Yeah. for this store so yeah i definitely from that moment on i was like you should be the guy that does our computer stuff because you're not going to just be a silent guy who's quote unquote doing computer stuff like right. our old computer guy which yeah drove so, me insane and like that frustrated me i was like he's using our resources for nothing let's get yeah. a guy that will actually do stuff and uh, yeah and like just being a retail guy for a really long time and loving comics for even longer than that um th like this is a really easy thing for me to slip into and, mm -hmm. and just have a really good time tweaking things. And you did it effortlessly. It, yeah. Slipped in effortlessly. Yeah. I, like it was, it was all a big, it was kind of an accident. And at some point art called and said that he was, he was really sick and, and he wanted me to be part of the team that took over the comic store. And I was like, like that, that's a lot of different emotions because mm -hmm. I didn't know art super well, but that's a lot of trust to put into somebody. And a weird sort of, oh, fuck, yeah, I'm going to have a comic store. Like, oh, fuck, no, <laughs> you're, you're going to die. <laughs> oh, this is going to be a lot of fun. Oh, this is a really scary, potentially life-ruining business to take over because at the time it wasn't 
it wasn't thriving like it is now. And we had to work really, really hard to, you know, pay, pay payroll and rent just, just that. Um, someday, can we do a podcast that is Roman just giving an oral history of the comics place? I want him to write the comic <laughs> book, but yeah, I, I yeah. want that as well. Do we want to do another, uh, we another, gotta go. th- okay. We gotta go. All right. I, I, I told Sam 11 I, and I was yeah, I, what the fuck is wrong with you? You don't give you don't give her time. I you don't just, give her a time. Every you say, time I'm like, you say we like, close at eight. <laughs> we're probably not going to record for three hours. I told Cobra ten. He's yeah. probably asleep. His, yeah. his cat's probably pissing on his head by yeah, now. Yeah, and I love my girlfriend, but I am always really late home from the podcast. Yeah, you know, you know, I, I just tell the wife, you know, I'll be home when I'll be home, and so it, it is so wonderful that our our community that they. Give us these questions. I mean, yeah. I think it's so cool. It is so yeah. cool. Yeah. So, hey. <laughs> call um, in. Leave us a message. Maybe we'll do it. Email us in. a voicemail. Yeah, we're yeah, going like, to get another special little thing up before the live show. I'm but not, that'll, that'll you be don't need the phone number. Fuck you. You can look it up on the internet. That's one six one nine six six three seven three three six. Jeff, you're uh, going against my wishes. I love you. Um, <laughs> and yeah, we're gonna we're really excited. We're gonna uh, pass out some slips for people to write questions down, and then we're gonna draw questions out of a hat at the show. So get ready to have some questions and uh, ready to write them down for us. We want tell, the last chunk of the show to be questions. Tell your babysitter twelve thirty a.m. But surprise them and come home at eleven. Yeah, don't do what I do with Sam. (laughs) I'll be home at 11. Fuck, it's midnight. All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next schleason. Oh, October schleen. Oh. (laughs) See you guys. Thank you. (laughs) So long. Oh, guys. Sorry, everybody. Man.